Hello everyone, Craig Dunkerley here and welcome to the Beyond Growth Show. I'm here as always with the lovely Claudia Harvey. Hello everybody. Um, thank you so much for joining us today and remember that the Beyond Growth Podcast is a podcast for everyone who wants to increase their wealth. Craig and I are business owners and investors and we share insights into building wealth and we introduce you to expert guests as well. We use the three pillars of possibility, which include emotional support, business strategy, and financial understanding to help our listeners and viewers with their own personal goals. And Craig, how are you today? I'm doing wonderful, Claudia. How about yourself? I am great. Thank you. And who's our podcast guest today? Today, we have a, a very interesting guest. His name is Scott Ritzheimer, capacity architect and founder of Eight Figure Focus. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing what, what a capacity architect is. That's a new word. I've never heard that before. Yes, absolutely. I am as well. Now, everybody, please remember to like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube and Spotify channel. And please remember to click the bell for any updates to the videos. But before we do begin, Claudia always likes to start off with something positive. So what do you have for us today, Claudia? Well, something near and dear to my heart. As most viewers and listeners know, I love nature. I love environment. I like hiking. I like doing everything outside. So it's World Environment Day on June 5th. And I just think that it's a wonderful thing to champion all causes that are important to our environment. So everybody, World Environment Day on June 5th. Everybody take time to smell the roses. And take some time to share your thoughts on the environment as well. We'd love to hear. That would be awesome. Let's bring on Scott. Hey, Scott, how are you? I'm doing well, Claudia. How are you today? I am fantastic. Thank you for asking. Excellent. Hey, it's great to have you on today, Scott. So Claudia and I are really interested to hear what a capacity architect is. I'm sure our viewers and listeners are also curious, what is it and why did you choose that title? Yeah, great question. So uh, I've been working with, you know, business owners, nonprofit leaders for a very long time, lots of organizations. And during that time, uh, I started to see a pattern pop up. And, and it was so consistent that it, when I first recognized it actually startled me. But basically, you get this, this visionary type who goes out, they, they start a new organization, and they've got nothing at that time, but like a hope and a dream and the the audacity to believe that they can actually make something uh, of the world. And, and so they go out, they hustle, they work, they work longer and harder than any of us would ever want to. And with a little bit of luck, the, the business grows, you know, the, the organization grows and, uh, and, you know, they keep pushing the, they're driving, they're getting it done. And one day they look up and they've got this multi-million dollar organization. They've got people that are working, you know, then, and things are wonderful. Uh, they're, they're making more money than they've made maybe ever, at least in a very long time. Uh, starting a business is no joke from a money standpoint, but, uh, things from the outside look really, really good. And, and they go to cocktail parties and they tell everybody how wonderful it is. And everyone's jealous, you know, of the, the success that they've had and inside uh, they're dying. 
uh, inside the you know they're they're just constantly dealing with this weight and pressure that's inside the organization and they can't put a finger on it and and many of them actually feel bad about it because it's like how can i complain when everything is so good you know like these are the successful ones these are the folks who 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 got the business off the ground who who are running this great organization and uh and you know many of them i've had many of them come to me and say hey if i can't solve this i'm done uh, I, that's it. And what's going on is that they've they've bumped up against several capacity constraints all at the same time. The, they're dealing with the personal capacity uh, constraints for their leadership. They're they're dealing with the capacities of their leadership team. They're they're dealing with the capacity of the, of the organization to deal with the complexity inside the organization. And when you put all of that together, you can you can. You take what was a, a massively successful organization and really bring it down to its knees and, and, and into this really, really challenging time in an organization's life cycle. And from again, from the outside, it looks like everything is great. From the inside, it looks like everything's imploding. And we have a tendency, especially if this is the first organization we've run at this level, we have a tendency to think this is it. Like we've run our course, I've done what I can do. And the truth of it is that if you just deal with a couple key issues, not only is your organization not on its last leg, it's actually one step away from its greatest growth period ever. And the difference between those two is really capacity. And so what I do is come in and, and I work with leaders, with their teams, with their organizations to create the capacity that they need to, to, scale, to, uh, to scale. You know what, I, I think that is absolutely fascinating, Scott. Thank you so much. Um, what's interesting is we've had past guests that talk about startup and the challenges that they've had with startup. You're actually talking about the challenges ongoing companies have with scaling up. And a lot of people think that once you've, you know, hit a milestone and you've made it big to whatever goal they've set, then it's smooth sailing and everything's, you know, great because you got the teams in place, you got the revenue, and it's just a kind of like a rinse and repeat. And I often talk about rinse and repeat, that you yeah. do things well and you repeat them to do things well again and again and again, grow your business. But I, I completely resonate with what you're saying. And I think Craig does too, I'll speak for him as well. We've also grown businesses in the past and we get to certain uh, places in our lives or, or in situations where we're thinking, oh my gosh, I just don't have the capacity to be able to do this. And it comes, I, I've told our, our listeners before, it's like a, I've had personal um, epiphanies when I was working in a corporate job, but very successful, successful on the outside, but on the inside, I'm like, ah, <laughs> I don't know how to do this. Um, and it's like an epiphany to the forehead going, oh my God, something has to shift, yeah, right? So, um, so really interesting. And so can you tell us a couple of those key nuggets on A, how to recognize that and know that you can actually push, push ahead of that to reach another limit, not just give up? Yeah, you described uh, you described it, and, and that startup, you know, e e rinse and repeat, and then that next trouble stage. It happens so often that we've actually named them. So very beginning is early struggle, right? That's the that's the the startup fight. It's that existential fight for survival. Can we get this business off the ground? Most organizations don't make it. We spend a lot of time talking about that because you know somewhere between you know four and uh, one. Uh, sorry six and nine out of 10 don't make it through that period. So I, I absolutely love how much
much we support startups today, more than ever before, which is awesome. And the goal is to get them into stage two, which we actually call fun because it is fun. You know, it's not early struggle anymore. It, it's the rinse and repeat stage. It's it's where the thing is growing. We we feel like we've got it figured out and and things are good. But if and and you can actually stay in that period for a very long time, maybe even indefinitely. But what happens for for you know folks who are really pushing or really trying to grow, in, inevitably and invariably, they will hit white water. And white water is that third stage that we're talking about. It's that capacity problem that we're talking about. And uh, there's basically three um, three different things that they'll bump into. I, I really want to drill into the first one that I, I talk to people about, and it's to stop playing Jenga with your business. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> you, you, have you ever played the game Jenga? It, it's yeah. the, I've got a, I've got one behind me here, but it's that that those wooden blocks that you kind of pull out of the tower and you place them on top. Well, that's how we tend to run our businesses. We we have whatever we have, and we just kind of pull from the bottom and put it on top, and that's how we grow, right? That's how we make the Jenga stack tower. That's how we grow our revenue. It's a revenue game. The more we can sell, the more we can make, and it's wonderful. At some point, you look at the Jenga stack, and there's no more easy moves right? It's it's that place where you're like, oh, shoot, I hope it doesn't happen on my turn. Uh, but as a business owner, it's always your turn, right? You're always the one who has to pull the next piece of wood and place it on top. And and so the question is, what do you do whenever it, it, gets, it gets to the point where there's no easy moves? It's at that stage that we actually have to, we have to just change the way we look at the business altogether. It's not about hustling our way through the problem anymore. Uh, you know, one sign that you're playing Jenga with your business is that your organizational strategy is kind of like uh, the way that six-year-olds play soccer. I have a, I have an eight and a 10-year-old now, but they still kind of do this. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but you put a bunch of six-year-olds on, on a field and you give them a soccer ball and what happens? There's just this flock of kids, you know, including both goalies that just run around with a dust cloud up over their heads. And and, and that's that's how we tend to run businesses. And, and there's no judgment in that. It's actually exactly how to run a business in that fun stage. It's, hey, we're going after this and everybody goes after that. And then, oh, we're going after this and everybody goes after that. And we're going after this and everyone goes after that. We, we thrive on our, our flexibility, our ingenuity, our ability to pivot at any point in time. But to build momentum and actually scale, you have to stop pivoting to an extent. Now, it doesn't mean that we get rid of innovation, not at all. But you have to start looking at what are the big rocks that we can get in place that we can uh, really start to build on and gain momentum. And, uh, and so what tends to happen when you do that is you find yourself at a place where you're running in a thousand different directions. And there's this moment that you just have to come to where you say, hey, what is it that we're doing that's really, really working? And how can we focus more of our energy on that? Uh, and, you know, when I work with groups on this, we'll actually sit down and for the leadership team or, or maybe even just the founders, uh, we'll sit down and say, tell me what you've done over the last two weeks. And we will write out everything that they've done. And you'll be shocked uh, to know that virtually every single time, about 40 up to 60% of the tasks that they're doing, they should not be doing. And about 20% of the tasks, nobody should be doing. They just accumulate over time, right? We don't really stop and think, hey, should 
we stop doing something, we, we grow by addition, we grow by doing more and more and more. Mm-hmm. And so very, very first step is at the very top of the organization, just take a step back and say, hey, what am I doing that I don't need to be doing anymore? And, and then from there, what are we doing as an organization that we don't need to be doing an, anymore? I've seen organizations cut million dollar business lines and, and grow exponentially because of it. And, and that's where we come back to that idea of they were pulling Jenga pieces, right? They were, they were you know, just taking everything that they could and sticking it on top. And, and that stops working at some point. And you, you have to evolve your leadership to, to handle that. Wow. Yeah, it's really, really interesting what you're saying there, Scott. We all know that communication with teams, especially employees, uh, is key to successful growth. And when you talk about that fun stage, you know, communication, I would imagine, is kind of easy at that time because everybody's going in the same direction at the same focus target, as you said. So it's just go, go, go. But as you hit that whitewater stage, you talk about getting everybody on the same page can be a really challenge as they go off in their own direction. So what are some of the best ways to ensure that companies' internal communications align with their growth, either in the fun stage or I would imagine more importantly, when they hit that whitewater point? Yeah, that's fantastic. It's one of the first signs that's, that trouble is ahead is that communication thing, right? It, when you have five people on a team, you shout and everyone can hear you. When you have 50, you may not have ever even seen some of them. You know, someone else hired them. And, and when you have 500, it, it's just a whole different ballgame. And so what happens is organizationally, our internal communication structures have to change to, to match where we want to go as an organization in the next stage. And there's a couple of ways of doing that. But what I've found before you can really get to handling communication issues, you have to address one of the big problems that's happening that's causing those communication issues. And unfortunately, it's usually the founder. You know, most people by that stage have had to learn to at least get along with each other, right? But the founder can, they can kind of blow in and blow out whenever they like. They can, if, if they want to go that direction, then we are all going in that direction. And so you, you end up with uh, just these habits that are built in, again, because that's exactly how to run a, fo- a fun organization. But these habits of I make decisions and then we all execute that starts to cause these massive communication errors. Uh, there was a, a, a guy I worked with and he would, um, he'd come into the office just kind of whenever the wind blew. You know, he, the, the organization was doing great. He realized, hey, if I'm around, I cause some problems. So I'm, I'm just not going to be around as much. And uh, he proved to be just as dangerous when he wasn't around as when he was, because what he would do is he would just kind of blow in. He'd have five conversations and he'd blow out. And and each one of those five conversations would be great. Everyone would be excited. And they would be five completely different directions, pointing five people in completely different directions. And, uh, and you know, all of it was coming down to that kind of visceral gut level uh, decision making that the founder was used to making. The problem was it was causing all kinds of confusion on the leadership level. And so the very, very first communication problem that you have to deal with is how do we make decisions at the top level of the organization? It's the very, very first one, because that that on the fly in the hallway decision making is is guaranteed to cause confusion across the board. 
and the cure for that is one of the most boring things in the world, and that is called high-quality team-based decision-making. Now, it's a mouthful. It's not fun to say. It sounds like the worst idea ever, but I can tell you from the, the folks that I've done, there's no tool that's been more powerful in relieving the stress on, uh, on a leader than to help them teach their team how to make high-quality decisions. And to do that, it's got to get away from I know best right? As the leader, I've been there, I've done it, which was true, may even still be true, but it's not helpful. And we have to get to the team knows best. And as you start making that transition to that high quality team-based decision-making, you'll find a lot of the initial communication problems that you had will actually disappear because you've got that top team making decisions together. Now, from there, there's all kinds of structures and things that you can put in place. And and the easiest way of putting it is it's basically about um, doing uh, st structuring. Uh, sorry, it's basically about structuring what used to happen naturally, right? It was natural when there were five of us in a room for everybody to know what was going on. Now that there's 50 of us, we actually have to put a structure in place to make sure everybody knows what's going on. Um, and the, there's a, a, a byproduct of that. And, and uh, there's a, a gentleman I worked with, uh, his name was Paul. And one of the byproducts of, of dealing with that, that communication issue of moving to high-quality team-based decision-making is that you can make some really, really big decisions uh, in a team environment that would have been very difficult to make in a, as an individual. And you know, if, in his example, it's easier to just tell the story. So basically, what was happening was um, Paul was was running this organization, and they would do events all over the country. And he would go and speak at these events, inspire people, and would make a hundred thousand dollars in a day uh, at, at at a good a good event. And you know, the way of building that was to do more and more events, uh, right? As the more events we do, the more money we make. Well, you get to the point where we're doing 50 of these events uh, a year, uh, which means Paul is on at least 100 flights a year, which means that Paul has missed basically every single one of his kids' sports games in the fall. And he's getting sick on the road. He's, he, he's just getting worn out. He's getting beat up. And his idea is, okay, let's go and find someone else to replace me on the road, which is fine. But the truth of it was it was really built around his persona. It was built around the idea of the CEO being in the room. And, uh, and, and you know, truthfully, it wasn't a great strategy, but because it was so important to the way that Paul did business, because it was so central to his identity as the leader of the organization, he couldn't see any other way other than to have those events taking place. Well, I sat down with him and, the, and his team, and, and as we started getting them to make decisions together, someone that, brave enough stood up and said, hey, should we really be doing these conferences? Should we really be doing these events? Uh, and the, the, you know, Paul's gut level reaction was like, and I could see him getting ready to talk. I said, just wait a second. Like, let's, let's see where this goes. And the team started talking about it. And pretty quickly, a consensus came up that, yes, conferences were the way that we got to where we were today. But they've actually created this opportunity in another part of the business that we can pursue. And, uh, and by going after that opportunity, not only can we get Paul off the road, but we can also replace all of that revenue and almost double our margins. Uh, and, and so 
it took a little while, right? It was hard for him to make that leap. But when he finally decided, hey, I'm going to trust the team and we're going to go with this. In one year, they had not only replaced all of the revenue, they grew it by 10%. And from a profit standpoint, because those conferences were so expensive and the, the things that were sold there had had poor margins, they actually tripled their bottom line in a single year. Now, he never would have been able to do that if he was trying to make all those decisions himself. But by going the route of that team-based decision-making, he made a a decision that changed his life forever. He also got on zero business flights that next year, made every one of his games, coached three of his kids' uh, sports teams, and was loving life by the end of it. Again, all down to this really, really boring thing we call high-quality team-based decision-making. You know, I think that's, I think that's really fascinating, Scott, because I think a lot of people who have been in business for a while can resonate with that. And I think many, many people build a business because they have the business understanding and acumen to make these type of decisions that will strategically grow the business. And you get to a point that you have to start relying on your team. Like you've built your team, they you've you've chosen people that in in strategic roles that have unique abilities to match that roles and you eventually have to trust those people but i mean i confess as a founder i think my team could probably also say that i've blown in and blown out and but i'm trying i try as a founder to um let the team make those decisions and delegate i think as companies grow a lot of difficulty is we sometimes have lack of time to have that type of structure and and designate that structure and put that kind of structure in place. So how do how do businesses go about doing that? Because you're on certain paths to make certain revenue. How do you stop, reposition, and strategically align the team to move forward? And how long does that process take? Yeah. Uh, again, going back to what I was talking about um, earlier with the task list, right? So there was a, a group that was in that exact same uh, position, John and Rachel, and they, they you know, again, everything looks great on the outside. They're running a marketing company, had uh, had shifted their model to where they weren't onesie twosieing anymore. They were picking up 100 clients at a time. And they're like, this is awesome. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh my goodness, this is a lot of work. And so they're in that, right? Just picked up a ton of clients, made a ton of money, more money than they've ever made before, but they are just dying under the workload. And they're the ones that I went into, the one of the ones that I, I went into. And the very, very first thing we did with them was looked at, okay, what is everybody doing? And should they still be doing it? And so time and time again, you know, that, that's the biggest pushback that folks have, you know, w- with working with me is we just don't have the time for it. And it's, that's actually the biggest thing that I'll give you is time. Because uh, at any given point in time, about 40% of what you're doing is absolutely unessential across the board. And so that's why our very first step is to go in and look at what are the things that we need to stop doing. And by stopping, we actually create the time that we need to build some of these systems and structures. The other part of it is, uh, and and this is kind of uh, ancillary to, to what you're talking about, is, you know, visionary leaders are not process thinkers nine times out of 10, right? It's just you, you put them in a process and they're like, I'd rather die, right? Why would anyone want process? And so they may be okay at designing processes. They're terrible at, at adhering to them. But the whole idea of process is just exhausting, Right. And so a lot of times people are like, I don't have time for that. It, what they're really saying is I don't have the energy for that. And that's true. But somebody on your team does. 
And so a big part of it is bringing that processor leadership into the leadership structure of the organization, because there are people in your organization right now who think in terms of system and process. Now, we often don't give them the, the benefit of, of being seen as a leader, but that's the exact leadership gifting that we need to get through Whitewater and into the fourth stage that we call predictable success. Wonderful. That's great. Um, I, you know, it's, we're, we're, you're fascinating, Scott. Like this is, I, you're really speaking to me <laughs> as well. Um, you have, because we're in our restricted times, you have an online course that you present to people or offer people that they can walk through this. So tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So uh, my heart and passion for, for starting this business was to help folks uh, who, who have a dream for a bigger, better organization and, 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 and you want to see that come to pass. They just have no idea how to do it, right? They know how to get to where they've been uh, or in where they are, but they don't know that next step moving forward. And the truth of it is not everybody can work you know, with a, a consultant like me. And so I took everything that I do in the room with a team and I put it into an absolutely free online course that anybody can access. And so it's a six-week course. I have a, basically a video a day that I walk through. So if you give me five minutes of your morning, I'll walk you through a, a, a number of different strategies that are practical, hands-on, how do I do this capacity thing? And so anyone who wants that, they can go to capacityarchitect.com uh, forward slash BG, beyond growth. So cap capacityarchitect.com slash BG and sign up there and you'll get an email delivered to your inbox with a lesson each day that will walk you through the exact same process I've used to add a million dollars to to my client's bottom line. Fantastic. Nice. Yeah. And it's free. Yes. I like it. <laughs> 100%. Excellent. Oh, that's wonderful, Scott. But, you know, I think before we finish off, let's get one more thing from you. If you could start all over again, what is it you would do differently? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I've thought about this a couple of times and, and wish I had, had done it this way, but uh, I would have invested more in relationships before I made the leap in, in function. Um, uh, there was a, an interview with Grant Cardone recently. He did that undercover billionaire where they're given $100 and they have to build a million dollar business. And I forget what time it is, 30, 60, 90 days, something like that. And he said the, the one thing that he most realized in that, that process, I mean, he was a billionaire, you know, uh, is how much he relies on people. And uh, whether it's friends, employees, anything, when you have to do it all alone, uh, alone takes a long time. And so if I had an opportunity to do it again, I would have invested more in relationships ahead of time uh, in, in terms of other people who can help me, other people who I can help, other people who know the people that I can help, but just relationships across the board. I would have spent a lot more time on that before I made the leap full time. Scott, how can people reach you? Yeah, best place to start is with that capacity course. It, I've really put my best into that. Uh, if folks want to know more about me, they can go to uh, eightfigurefocus.com. Uh, that's my consulting website, eightfigurefocus.com, eightfigurefocus.com. Or if you look for Scott Ritzheimer online, uh, I, I wish I could say I'm the only one, but my dad is Scott Ritzheimer as well. So you'll just have to, I'm the, uh, I'm the younger one. He's the better looking one. So we'll just put it that way. But uh, he doesn't do much on social media, so you won't, you won't find too much from him, but we're all over it uh, on there. So if you just look up Scott Retimer, you'll, you'll find me pretty quickly. Thank, that's awesome, Scott. Thank you so much. Amazing insights. And again, it's a whole different way of 
of looking at business and it's grow, growing and building wealth in a whole different way than what we've talked about in the past. So uh, thank you very much for your insights and it's wonderful. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Claudia. Thanks, Craig. Oh, thank my you, pleasure. Um, so we always do a closing quote with everybody and I, there's always the quiz at the end of it. See if you can recognize who said this. So the, the quote is, growth is never by mere chance. It is the result of forces working together. Who said that? And I will give you, I'll give you a hint. It was a founder of a retail company. Um, I have no idea. Let's go with, um, let's go with uh, Walmart. Uh, trying to forget his name or trying to remember his name. It's not coming to me, but founder of Walmart. Nope, not founder of Walmart, but same type of era. It was J.C. Penny. Ah. Yeah, awesome. Well, again, um, thank you so much for joining us, Scott. And Craig, would you like to sign off and tell us about our next guest? Yeah, absolutely. So everyone remember to visit us next week with guest Diana Mirian, Chief Economy First and host of the Optimal Finance Daily Podcast. Should be another interesting show. And everybody, please remember to like, comment, and subscribe to our bod- podcast channel. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit that notification bell and you will get updates to our videos. And once again, thank you so much, Scott. Yeah. And it's been a pleasure. Thank See you, you later, everybody.